Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. So we're going to talk about checking your foundations, checking your foundations, all right? Uh, the most important part of this building is its foundations, if you didn't realise it. And yet it's hidden. It's, you can't see it. But if cracks started appearing in the wall, that's actually there telling us there's a problem down in the foundation. The, the, really dumb to fix the crack in the wall because it's just going to keep reappearing. So if there's cracks appearing in your Christianity, cracks appearing in your faith in God, I can tell you now, you've got a foundation problem. And it's time for you to check your foundation, you know, uh, to actually dig down and go, this, this crack, this doubt, this shakiness in my faith has appeared because I have not addressed the foundational understanding of my faith, right? So we're going to go get down into that. I'm going to tell you what that foundation is, how you can build on it. But we need to pray. Spirit of God, you are the best teacher. And there is a word that you're wanting to land in our hearts. A spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just a sermon, but a veil lifting, a harm moment is what we're looking for here tonight. God, to shift, to change our paradigm about you and what this whole journey is about. I pray you'll be the revealer here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the quality of your life quality of your Christianity is really about the foundation. And I've got a few pictures to help you grasp. I'm a bit of a visual person, so these things sort of help me. I hope it helps you. If we get that first picture up of a tapestry, right? So what people don't get is what's holding it all together is not the colourful threads. They're, they're just held in place and supported by those foundational threads. So the most important part of a tapestry or woven rug is actually not the colourful threads. It's actually the foundational threads. If they give way, then the whole rug starts to come apart. Now, that's a sort of picture of your Bible, really, because we've got all these thread truths that run through your Bible. But there's one foundational truth that holds them all together. And so as Pentecostal people, we like to talk about the colourful threads, the power, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, blessing. They're all thread truths. They're not the foundational truth. And, and so if you go after a thread truth without having it held in place properly with the foundational truth, it's going to become an untruth. It's going to become imbalanced, all right? So we've got, we got to say, well, what is this foundational truth? Well, there's, there's many thread truths, but there's only, only, only really one foundational truth that holds all these other thread truths together in your Bible, and that is the love of God. The love of God is the foundational truth, not the judgment of God, not the commandments of God, not the holiness of God, but the love of God is the foundational truth that holds all these other 
truths together. How do we know? How do we know this is true? Well, actually, the Bible tells us the foundation that we should be building on this foundational understanding of the love of God. And, and Paul, the apostle that's written the majority of your New Testament, is the guy that says, listen, all these great thread truths are great. If anybody knew the thread truths, it's Paul, but he himself is saying it's all meant to be built on this foundation. Ephesians chapter 3, he, look at what he's praying. He's, he's not praying for God to do anything for you. He's praying that you get your foundation right. He's saying, I pray that you'll be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge, which is, how do you do that? He's talking about it's revelation knowledge, all right? And here it is, worthy of dramatic music. He says, if you get this foundation right, you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to show you how that can become true, right? Why is he saying that? He's saying, listen, if you get this primary foundation right, everything else is going to flow from it. Everything else is going to flow from it. So this is his prayer for us. He's praying that, listen, guys, you've got to get the foundation right first. So let's have this next slide up. The foundation being the love of God. And then all these other slides, all these other bricks go on. And there, that's not exhaustive. You could add lots of different aspects there. Here's the point. If you try and isolate one of these other bricks and understand it, you've got to, you're going to get it wrong. They're a truth, but the love of God is the truth. And when you take a truth and you disconnect it from the truth, it becomes an untruth. All right? So I, that people are trying to understand grace and they struggle with it. They, they struggle to understand forgiveness and they struggle to trust God. You know why? Because that is born out of the womb of the love of God. If you could think of all these like children and the womb from which all these other children truths are born is the love of God. If you get that, you get it all. That's what Paul's actually saying. If you get this, because they're all emerging out of this foundational understanding that you're loved by God. You will struggle to trust God if you don't get, I'm loved by God. You'll struggle with giving. You'll give out of compulsion maybe, out of religion. You'll struggle to obey. You'll struggle to get healed. You'll struggle with the concept, I am accepted by God. You'll need constant reassurance. We'd need to get you coming out here on every altar call. We're going to wear a bald spot on your head. You're going to respond to it because you here you are. You're still insecure and needing our reassurance that you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're approved. You know why? Because you've got a, an incorrect foundation. <clears throat> get this, you get it all. All right? And so that's what he's saying. All these other thread truths, they're actually emerging out of it. 
That's why if you don't have this, this foundation, if we get this foundation wrong, let's go to the next slide. If you get a foundation like that, you are a legalist. And I want to apologise on behalf of the Preachers' Union if you have been raised in a performance-orientated counterfeit gospel that said you needed to behave a certain way before God loved you. I want to apologise if you were messed up with that and it was passed off to you as the gospel. I'm so sorry you had to put up with that nonsense because it's just not true. But it just messed you up big time. Messed you up because you tried to build your relationship with God. You were convinced that God loves me because I do perform. That's why He's loving me. And so it became a very different sort of uh, uh, expression. That would be like me, because you get the, the first part wrong, everything else after that, is there another slide after that? Yeah, everything else is going to be wrong. It's it's true, but it's becoming an untruth, right? Because now, now I'm, tr I'm trying to trust God based on my performance and my self-effort. That would be like me getting dressed and getting my top button done up in the wrong buttonhole. What do you know about every other button I'm going to do up? It's going to be wrong. Why? Because I got the first one wrong. Now every other one is going to be wrong. I could be praying. I got to have yeah, worship playing while I'm doing it up. But it's still going to be wrong. I'm going to be sincerely wrong. Very sincerely wrong. Why? Because I got the first one wrong. That's the point. Wow. So many people messed up with Christianity because they got this shameful religious nonsense of performance uh, sort of served up to them. It was, it was subtle. God loves you because. No because. There's no because. The only because is because, because He wants to. <laughs> That's it. All right. So <clears throat> God's love is not actually conditional to what we do. Uh, and, and if, if that becomes our foundation, then wow, all sorts of stuff starts to go pear-shaped. Uh, again, <clears throat> Ephesians 3, uh, Paul puts it this way, with both feet firmly planted on love, you'll be able to take in with all the Christians the extravagant dimensions of God's love. All right? So before I go any further, I want to confess something to you all. You ready? You've got to promise you'll tell everybody. All right. And that is, if the preacher got up, just like I did, and I started to realise he was going to preach on the love of God. When I was a relatively new Christian, I'd be going, oh no. Oh no. Another sermon about God loving me. I'd be going, oh gee, I think I need to go to the bathroom. All right, it's like... <laughs> I go and check my car or something because I'm thinking, gee, love of God. You know why? I didn't get it. See, words are only powerful when you can put a mental image to them. If I'm up here using words, you can't put a mental image. It's like I'm speaking gibberish. So they were speaking gibberish to me. 
How does God love me? What do you it's meant to imagine big hairy arms coming down out of a cloud? Is that it? I mean, I'm trying, I'm going, no, that can't be right. God loves me. Blank. I can't see anything. What does that even mean? God loves me. All right. So I just, you know, and then, you know, people looking, it's like people looking at you. God loves you. And I know I'm meant to feel something when they say it, but there's nothing. It's like, I think I should be glad, right? I just got nothing. You know, how does this happen? How does God love me? All right. So then I realised, okay, uh, I'm, see, the thing you need to remember is you're reading a translated book. You know that Bible you're picking up? It's a translated book. It wasn't originally written in English. And, and that was my problem because this word love, we love ice cream, we love pizza, we love this, we love that, we love my dog. I don't love my dog. It's an adopted <laughs> greyhound and it's a pain in the neck. But anyway, <laughs> sounded good in the sermon. All right, so, and I love my wife, etc. and so on. Uh, but it's left to you to work out in the context that I'm using the word, oh, you know, he doesn't want to marry, he's ice cream, and you know, da, 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 you get it. Well, in the Greek language, which was the original language, they had the word that avoided all that confusion. There are, some would say, up to, to four different Greek words that express exactly what is being talked about a friendship love, um, an erotic love, uh, you know, uh, all different aspects of friendship. And, and I've already said that, but anyway, <laughs> okay, I think you got it. All right. But this word that we're reading here, translated, the, 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 the translators have done the best job they could when they came to it. But it actually is a word that has got nothing to do with emotion. When the Bible says God loves you, it's absolutely got nothing to do with his emotions. It's describing his behaviour. It is a doing word. It's actually describing the security of God's behaviour towards you every time. I will agape you, all right? And so this is the best, you can see why the translators balked at it because to really do it justice, let's have that definition of agape up on the screen. It's actually God looking at you with a total knowing and a total acceptance of all that you are. And regardless of whether you're worthy or deserving, God gives himself to you in a way to bring about your highest good. Wow. So God's looking right at you. All the stuff. He doesn't recall. If you could see Jesus looking at you, like x-ray vision, seeing all that stuff going on inside you, there won't be a, a skerrick of recoil uh, in his expression. Total love and acceptance, total understanding and a fierce desire in his heart to lift you out of there and do you the highest good. That's agape. That's behaviour, right? And so this is God saying, I 
will behave this way. I will always seek your highest good. I will always. So this is where we get the idea of God being this selfless giver, God uh, mercy and compassion and kindness. So that's what it is. It's, it's mercy, compassion and kindness in action. And this is the foundational belief that we've got to have about our God so that from that we build our trust in God. Why? Because, well, I'm going to trust that God. I'm going to serve that God. I'm going to sacrifice for that God rather than fear of hellfire and brimstone. No, I'm responding to his agape. I'm responding to him. All right. Um, So once we get this, it sort of reorders some pretty bad thinking maybe that has crept in. So God didn't become loving when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because God is loving. That's why He died. God didn't go, oh, because He died, now I love you. No. He died on the cross, Jesus, because He is loving. And so when we get this foundational understanding of the unconditional givingness of God, it automatically dislodges some things. Are you ready? It dislodges the belief that God's watching your performance to see if you're worthy of His acceptance. Total nonsense. If you get agape, you'll go, nah, that's not happening. It it dislodges the belief that God is threatening you with punishment if you don't give Him what He wants. If you get agape, you go, nah, that's not God. I'm not believing that. It dislodges the belief that God is saying, if you don't love me, I'm going to turn my back on you. If you get agape, you are waterproof protected from that sort of nonsense, all right? It's just like slipping right off you. It's like, nah, you got problems here, you know, if you believe that, all right? So... But what assurance do we have that God's love for us is real? What proof do we have? Well, we have the proof of God's forgiveness towards us. Do you really? Let's think about this. Every time God forgives you, what is He really saying? He's saying, I'd rather have you than you obey my rules. I'd rather forgive you and keep you close to me in relationship than you obey my commands. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because yes, you did mess up, but God's saying, I know you did, but I care more about keeping you close to me, so I'm going to forgive you. You being in relationship with me is more important than you keeping my commands. We have the proof of God the Son, arms outstretched on the cross, as an expression of just how far God is willing to go to show you how totally into you He is. Wow, that's agape right there. How His selfless givingness of Himself. So, so Jesus didn't come to save us from the condemnation of the Father. That is a nonsense, absolute nonsense. On the cross, God was not saying, I love you so much, I want to save you from my desire to punish you. Who came up with that? Well, I'll tell you who did. 
somebody that got it wrong. Somebody that got their foundation wrong. So, so God is not a punishing judge. He's a merciful Father who wins us by love and not by threats. He accepts us while we were sinners. He heals us with hugs, not with beatings. You know, we talk about the parable of the prodigal son, but we called it that. Jesus didn't. You know the character I reckon he was really pointing at was the behaviour of the father. Wow. It's really the gobsmacking, jaw-dropping to the Jews listening, the character that Jesus was weaving into the story that they would have all gone, what? Was the way the, the father behaved towards that prodigal son. Running down the road He must have been waiting for him, looking for him. And now he's running down. Now Jesus is in control of the story. And if anybody knows the Father's heart, it should be Jesus, right? (laughs) I reckon he's not off on some fiction here. He's he's trying to say to you, this is agape. This is behaviour. This is the behaviour of your God. When you turn around from your pig pen, he's going to run down the road And you're going to try to get into your performance sorry speech and he's going to smother you with a hug. And say, I don't want to hear that. I'm just so glad you're back. And he's going to put a ring on your finger, which is symbolic of authority. Shoes on your feet, which means you're not a slave, you're a son. All right, isn't that beautiful? And Jesus is telling the story. I want to tell you, they were absolutely shocked when they realised, because they... Was that son worthy? No, he wasn't. Was he deserving? No, he wasn't. But did the father still accept him? Yes, he did. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is agape. That father was behaving in the behaviour of agape. Total mind-blowing, incomprehensible, because we're in this debit-credit system thinking we've transferred it onto God, it's a nonsense. God is agaping you, all right? So we need to understand that. Now, of course, there is judgment. We gotta say that, come on. But guess where God chooses to sit when he's looking at you in judgment? He's seated on a seat of mercy. He chooses the seat, the angle he wants to look at you from is from a position of mercy, not judgment. He takes the mercy seat. Wow, this is agape. We've got to understand this. And no wonder Paul's raving about it and saying, guys, you've got to get this. Because if you don't get it, everything else is going to be out of shape, out of order. And that's why he says you've got to be rooted and established in it. He's using two metaphors. The first one is more by nature, how, how he's saying, come on, put the roots of your life deep into the soil of your understanding of agape because that's how you're going to grow and that's how you're going to thrive. You're going to thrive like a plant putting its roots deep into the soil of agape if you get this. All right, and then he switches the metaphor And he goes to establishing, establish yourself, which is more talking about the building, a building being established on these foundations. See the size 
of your foundation predetermines the size of the building. You can walk onto any construction site, if you know, and you can look at that foundation, you can tell how big this building's gonna be, where the parameter, and how high it's gonna go. Why? By the foundations. The, the sad thing is, people in this room are living a stunted life. Your potential, your gifting, your anointing, your, your God's heart for your future is so much bigger than what you are. You're limited because of your foundation. If you get your foundation expanded of God's agape, you can build a, a huge, bigger life than what you've got now in Jesus' name. So, so we're being told something that's really critical that we need to grasp for our development. So perhaps one of the greatest imbalances in our churches today is our continual emphasis on what we must do for God without first, oh, this stuff we need to do, <laughs> but not before you get the foundation sorted out. So it is due after we establish what's been done. All right. We shouldn't get rush you into doing without first making sure you understand what's being done for you by God. And so this is why some of us struggle to accept the things of God. We've made the mistake of trying to, to understand these things in isolation. They're not meant to be understood in isolation. They are children born out of the womb, which is the love of God, right? They're, they are progressive expressions. You don't just reach up and say, oh, I'm going to talk about faith. I'm going to talk about healing. You'll struggle if you don't get the foundation right. You're not meant to isolate. All kingdom truth is interconnected and interdependent and that's why you'll never understand it if you isolate it. If you isolate faith, you'll never understand it. Why? Because it's not meant to be isolated. It, it, it fits into the tapestry as a part of the overall expression. You follow what I'm uh, getting at here. All right, so, so we just really need to be careful. I like to talk about Mount Doodoo. Some of you remember, I like to talk, you know, because if we get it wrong, we're just collecting doo-doo. You know, if I can just doo-doo enough prayer and doo-doo enough and stand on my doo-doo, then I can give myself mental permission to be close to God. Look at all this doo-doo, God. Look at all, I can doo-doo prayer, doo-doo Bible study, doo-doo this, doo-doo. And I collect it all. That's getting the foundation wrong. It's building on performance. And so according to your faith, be it unto you. You're not giving yourself mental permission to feel close to God because in your mind you haven't collected enough doo-doo. The problem is doo-doo is slippery. It's very slippery. So the, the higher you pile it, the more potential you have of slipping off it. So it's not long before down Mount Doodoo you go and it's like it's all done and you messed up. You didn't, you know, get up at 6 a.m. 40 days in a row and la, 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 whatever. And it's like, <laughs> blind my doo-doo. All right. And so, and so it's exhausting. Christianity for you is so exhausting because now you're thinking it's going to take me ages to feel close to God again because 
I need to get all this doo-doo sorted out. You know, you're helping old ladies over the street that didn't even want them cross the street. Listen, I've got to get my doo-doo count up. Right, I'm just grooming dogs that don't want to be groomed or whatever. You know, you're just finding stuff that you need to do when you don't need. The doing comes out of the done. There it is. I need to write that down. Just come to me. Doing comes out of the done, everyone. What did you learn at church tonight? Doing comes out of the done. There you go. Tweet it. All right. Okay. And that's why when you take a truth and disconnect it from the truth, it becomes an untruth. How could that possibly be? Well, because it's not meant to be isolated. All right, and that's why I want to say more dramatic music. Stop trying to have faith in God. Just stop it. <laughs> stop trying to have faith in God. Okay, now he's getting weird. All right, because faith is a child born out of the womb. You faith just becomes the behaviour of somebody who knows they're loved by God. We're just watching them behave and we say, wow, you've got so much faith. And they could say, well, is that what you call it? I'm just no, I'm loved by God. So we've got to stop thinking, oh yeah, no, I'm going after that. No, you can't have that unless you get that, <laughs> right? It, it's a natural progression. It's a natural flow. Look at what uh, 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Wow, he just told us so much. He just told us, you name any area of your life where you're having fear and anxiety right now, and that fear is there, not because of a lack of faith. That's what he, he's saying, no, 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 it's not your faith. You don't understand how much God loves you in that particular area. If you knew how much God agapes you, you wouldn't have fear. So people come, oh, I'm really struggling with fear. Where's your faith? Well, that's not what this says. We should be saying, you got a foundational issue. <laughs> you need to get a revelation of how much God behaves towards you in agape. Faith is the behaviour. All right, so you name any area of your life. I don't need a word of knowledge. I'm really struggling with fear in this area. He's saying, now the word perfect, don't be scared by that, means mature. He's saying you have an immature understanding of how much God loves you. You need to get a better, mature understanding. And so fear comes because we think we don't have a God who loves us and fear goes when we realise we do. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why there is no all-time fix to fear. Because you need to be trusting the love of God as the moment arises, all right? That's why it says in Jude 1.21, keep yourself in the love of God. All right, so when I catch myself getting into anxiety, what's that telling me? A little light starting to flash. You're starting to, 
You're starting to get shepherdless. You're starting to get into orphan mentality. You're starting to think of your future without God in it. You're, you've forgotten God agapes you. And that's why that's there. That's why He's saying, come on, keep yourself in the love of God. That's why we can't get you to come out the front and go, no more fear in Jesus' Name. No, no. If you don't keep yourself in the love of God, the Bible just says, you know, it's going to creep back because what's keeping you out of fear is your understanding. Hang on a minute. I'm loved by God. And the place that really helps us with Garpea behaviour. Come on, David, give us a clear picture of when God is behaving in Agape, where what does that look like? I'll tell it to you. Psalm 23 is the most beautiful place because it's the behaviour of a shepherd towards his sheep. And Psalm 23, if you want to just take that home and get Agape and understand this is talking about God's behaviour towards me every time, every time. And that is He's guiding you, He's protecting you and He's providing for you. In that psalm, we see that's what agape is doing. When God says, I, I agape you, He's saying, I will guide you, I will protect you, and I will provide for you. And in that psalm, as we see it unpacked, we see the guiding of the shepherd, the protecting even in the valleys, and uh, goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life. So... You know what? This is not sermon number 26 stroke A that I've just thrown out of my sleeve. I had to learn this. I had to learn this. And you know what? It works. It's true. I find myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm starting to think like I'm shepherdless. I'm starting to imagine my future without Christ in it. Because the thing about your future is when you get there, He's going to be, He's going to walk with you into it. So now I'm where I thought I would be in the future. Well, guess what? He's there too. <laughs> the only thing you need to know about your future is that God's going to be in it. That's about it. So when that fear starts coming up, saying, wait a minute, the only thing I need to know about my future is God's going to be in it. And that's about all. I'm going to ask the singers and musicians to come back and help me. And there's this beautiful story that I I heard many years ago. It touched my heart. It's it's a fictitious, but it it's like a modern day parable, if you like, to to make a point. And it's the story of a king who loved his people so much. He said, "You know what? I just want to bless the people." So he decided what he was going to do. He was going to empty the palace, bring out all his treasure out of his palace, put it in the courtyard and invite the people to come into the courtyard and whatever their heart delighted in, if they threw their arms around it, they could have it. Isn't that beautiful? And so all day long he's standing in the courtyard watching the people come in, throwing their, seeing something their heart delights in and throwing their arms around it and, yep, you can have that, you can have that, you can have that. And then towards the end of the day, a little boy comes up to the king and says, is this true, king? That whatever 
in this courtyard that we see that our hearts delight in, if we throw our arms around it, we can have it. And the king said, yeah, that's right. And then the king felt the arms of the little boy go around his legs. The little boy had chosen him. And the king said, you've chosen wisely because when you choose me, you have everything. When you get agape, you get everything. How often, bow your heads, close your eyes with me, how often do we come to God obsessively looking at His hand instead of gazing into His face? We're coming in, what have you got for me? We're looking at His hand when we should raise our gaze and look into His face. That's you. It's you I want. Because when I have you, I have everything. It all flows out of that. It all flows out of that. God, forgive us for the the number of times when we've can't get past looking at your hand. What do you got? What can you give me? I need, when really we need to lift our gaze, throw our arms around the King, the legs of the King. The little boy chose wisely. I wonder how many in this room need to choose Jesus tonight. I get it. I get it. Maybe you're here because there's something going on in your life and you need help. You need this. You need that. Maybe healing. One of those bricks that we saw, I get it. But I'm here to tell you, when you throw your arms around Jesus, when you just choose Him, it all flows from there. And that was Paul's point. That's why he was emphasising it. When you get the love of God, you get the fullness of all that God is. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. You got it. So I'm going to create a moment right now in this meeting for people to throw their arms around Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time, you've never done it before. You've done church, done some Bible study, maybe raised even a Christian home, I don't know. Or some need has brought you here and congratulations, you've chosen a great place to come for some help. But my passion and burden is that you start right. You start right. On the right foundation, you begin by saying, Jesus Christ, I choose you. My response to your agape is to worship you, to choose you back as you've chosen me. 
So I don't know, obviously, everybody in the room. So this moment to me is important because it's an opportunity for you to choose Jesus. Respond to Him. Or maybe you are the prodigal and the Father is watching, waiting for you to turn from the pig pen that you've been in and make your way home. And guess what? He's running down the road. So if you're in fear of His anger, punishment, wrath, it's not going to happen. He will agape you. He will behave towards you in a way that's seeking your highest good. So that's it. If you're here today, here tonight, you've never done this. You've never, you've attended church, but you've never actually consciously, willingly, intentionally prayed a prayer and say, today I choose you. I throw my arms around your legs as I heard tonight, Jesus. I'm, I'm doing that. You've never done that. Then the prayer I'm going to lead you in a moment is, is doing that. Don't worry, you can pray it right where you are. I'm going to lead you in the prayer. In fact, the whole room's going to say it with you. But I need to know who I'm praying with and for. So if that's you, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if that's you in this place and you're ready to pray this prayer, lift your hand really high. So that's me. I'm getting right with God before I leave this place tonight. Somebody up the back there with two hands raised. If you're worshipping, <laughs> yes, that's right, good, thank you. Someone else over there, fantastic. Who else? Lift your hand up really high, just give me a wave. If that's you, say, count me in, another hand over there, fantastic. Anyone else? Come on. Yeah, someone over there, that's fantastic, wonderful. People choosing waiting for you. Come on, get brave. Another hand there. Fantastic. God bless you, sir. I love it when people take their time. You know why? Because that's how we make a decision. Yeah, someone else over there. Fantastic. We make a decision like this. It takes us a bit of time. Over there. God bless you. I see that hand as well. Wow, so many people. That's great. Anyone else looking around? This is your opportunity to say, yeah, that's me. You're feeling the warmth, you're feeling the brace of God. It's a wonderful thing. We're going to pray in just a moment. Just holding this moment open for anyone else who wants to lift their hand and say, yeah, that's me. David, include me in this prayer with you. Right, wonderful. We're going to pray. Come on. And I want the whole room to pray in support of the people that have lifted their hands. Let's say this prayer. It's nothing magical about the prayer. What's powerful is you're saying it from your own heart and you mean it. Say this with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you to be the Saviour of the world. Tonight, I receive you as my Saviour. 
come into my life. Thank You for cleansing me. Thank You for forgiving me. Thank You for a new beginning. I receive it now. And I thank You for it. Amen. Come on, everyone. Let's thank God for these precious people. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.